This podcast is a frank discussion on sexual assault. If you are in the USA for free and confidential help, call 1-800-865-HOPE in Australia for confidential counseling and support in cases of sexual assault or abuse. Please call 1-800-RESPECT. Sammy, how are you? Hey, I'm doing great. It's not morning for me. It's almost evening here in California, but happy to be here with you. That's it. This is Tracy Smith checking in here with Open Stance. Sammy, welcome to Open Stance. And I wanted to give our listeners just a little background about um, who you are and um, some of the work that you've done recently on your amazing podcast, After the Assault, which focuses on sexual assault survivors. Yeah, thank you so much, Tracy. Uh, yeah, I'm Sammy. I'm, as you said, a healthcare reporter at Capital Public Radio in Sacramento. And I have always been really interested in the way that trauma affects how people live and work and play, how it affects their relationships with other people, and really just what even happens to our brains when we go through any kind of a crisis. And sometimes that's something acute, like a car accident. And sometimes that's just the trauma of living in a really toxically stressful environment. And so I've done all kinds of stories about people living with chronic disease or people experiencing suicidal ideation or people who are in um, really difficult economic circumstances. And I've just always tried to tell human stories. And, you know, with sexual assault, I think so often in the media, it's a one and done. You know, this incident happens, there's a police press release that comes out, there's all this focus on the perpetrator, and nobody really thinks about the survivors and what happens to them when all the media hype is over, um, what happens to them for the next weeks and the next months. And, you know, I'm only referencing survivors whose cases make the news. Sexual assaults happen every single day that we don't know about because three quarters of rapes in the United States go unreported and people are sexually assaulted and they don't even know to call it that. And they may immediately start to blame themselves or feel ashamed. And so they don't come forward to anyone. And so I really wanted to create something that could give people voice around that and let them tell their stories and not just about what happened to them, but really about how it affected the rest of their lives and who they became after how it changed them and how they've tried to heal. So that was really the premise for After the Assault. And that's our seven part podcast on sexual violence and its aftermath. Uh, it's brilliant. And one of the things that we chatted about before this podcast is how you separated your podcast into basically two parts. So you had the initial several episodes focused on a survivor going through, uh, for example, the legal system uh, and, and all the things that it entails, uh, forensic testing and the interview process and the interrogation and quite frankly, the re-traumatization of a victim and survivor having to go through that process. Um, and then you lead into the last three or four episodes where you really shift gears and you focus on the health and the mental well-being and the physical well-being of the survivor. And that's, when I listen to this podcast, that's really what captured my attention. I'm a survivor of sexual assault. I was um, a college student playing tennis at Duke University, and I'm the survivor of 
a drug facilitated rape. So um, for the better part of 30 years now, I have been on a long journey um, through aftermath and with great fortune, I can sit here today and speak with you as a survivor that has, um, it can say I am fully healed and have had an amazing recovery. That has been, to repeat, a 30-year journey, and it has been a long, arduous, and very, very difficult um, process, to say the least. But what I found related to your podcast was the fact that healing is possible. Uh, I also have a podcast um, that focuses specifically on the mental and physical well-being of the survivor and how we can offer um, healthy options to explore for um, a path to healing or a path to freedom. So I really love how you transition there. And I think uh, that would be a really nice way to just um, follow on from your podcast today and highlight the positive behaviors and the positive options and explore a few things um, that a survivor can latch onto and know that, yes, there is hope to move through areas where you are feeling truly stuck, helpless and hopeless and with no control. And one of the things that really I latched onto in your podcast was exercise um, and how survivors can take very basic steps, um, something that's in their control. So um, what are your thoughts, Sammy, on um, exercise in particular from a health perspective that would relate to the positive benefits um, related to healing? I want to start, Tracy, by just making everyone who has survived sexual violence feel like it's, it's okay wherever you are in your healing process. It can be really, really difficult at first to even know where to start. You know, so I interviewed um, ultimately like 19 survivors for this podcast, but there were eight that I really spent a lot of time with. And so many of them just felt really, really stuck. Um, there is a phrase that psychologists use, it's rape trauma syndrome, and it's a real collection of symptoms that are disruptive to daily life. We're talking about memory loss, panic attacks, flashbacks, loss of sleep. And a lot of the women that I interviewed, they are struggling still years later. You know, They have to take days off work sometimes because they're overwhelmed or uh, they can't go to certain places in their uh, communities because it reminds them of what happened. And so I just think it's important to remember if you have a survivor in your life that there is no finish line. Um, like you said, it's it's a years and lifelong process. And so I think when somebody's feeling really stuck, um, their inclination might might be to, to stay where they're at. And, you know, a lot of the women I talked to, they didn't have as much self-value as they had before the rape. They described they used to love who they were. And then after the rape, they started to degrade themselves because they felt degraded by what happened. And they felt that they were not themselves anymore. They couldn't do the things that they liked to do. Uh, they didn't feel connected to their own bodies and their own minds. Um, and I, I'd love to play you a little bit of tape of them describing just the way they started to treat themselves in the aftermath. It involves meditation. 
it involves self-love practices, self-speaking to my, like, honestly telling myself that I'm okay the way I am, just as I am. I didn't deserve any of this. You know, that internal dialogue, which apparently some people don't have, but, (laughs) um, you know, really giving yourself those pep talks, but take a bath, you know, and like love on yourself, give yourself a pedicure, really simple actions that seem almost impossible at the time, but really just like practice self-love on a very practical level. And then for me, I've also done a lot of meditation, um, my mom is so happy that I finally started meditating. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it's not because of her. But uh, now I meditate twice a day. And yoga, I think, going back and doing yoga, like, has been huge. And it doesn't even have to be a specific thing. Like, yoga, I think, is great, but it's not for everybody. But taking that time and requiring myself to be someplace for an hour where it's just something for me. It's just something for my body something that'll, you know, be fruitful later. I just have this time where I'm taking care of myself, which was definitely hard for me to do for a while. So, you know, a lot, a lot of them had goals to do uh, yoga, for example, was something a lot of them found helpful. They talked about going on hikes and finding a little more connection to their bodies and their minds there. And um, I, I think once you can start doing those physical activities and you can remind yourself that yes, you can do it, you know, even if it's little baby steps, even if it's just, okay, I took a walk today or I took a very short jog today, or I went to one class, you know, it's, it's something you're doing for you. It's reminding yourself that you matter and that you can invest, you can invest in your health, right? You can take that power and you can make the decision, okay, I am going to do this because I deserve it. I'm worth it. That's another interesting point too. And I come from an athletic background and many of the guests that I have hosted already on Open Stance are former Olympians, they're elite athletes. And in their podcast episodes, they talk a lot about the healing power of exercise. And we're talking about gold medal athletes. However, what I, and that's where I didn't want to put other people off saying, oh, well, of course they're able to do it. Look at what they've accomplished. But what the athlete may understand better than an everyday person who's just, you know, working out for personal fitness is the neuroscience behind what's happening when we exercise. And this is something that I learned along my journey. Even as an athlete, I didn't fully understand it because I never took the time to, to go in and and look at what happens in the brain when, when we exercise. Um, I found it incredibly powerful information to help me continue with exercise or pursuing other activities, health, healthy activities. Just understanding, for example, what a runner's high is and what endorphin release is in your body. Those good good endorphins that are happy endorphins. So when you go out for a walk even, or if it's a yoga class, it doesn't have to be intense training. It can be anything that makes you have a bit of lift and you feel good. One thing that I just feel would be an amazing option for people to explore is doing your own little bit of research on how that brain is functioning and what those what those releases are chemically in your body that are happening as a result of exercise because there's a real chain reaction that happens. And this is my experience. And it's it's just information to help people open the doors 
and explore new things potentially they haven't had and give you a bit of control to go investigate your life and how you can make it work. So just understanding how raising your heart rate can deliver um, you know, the endorphins or the adrenaline release and that, that feel good vibe. And then that chain reaction goes to a positive thought. And that positive thought may give you a bit of self-confidence and just lift that self-value or that self-worth and turn that into one more good decision in your day or open a channel for you to see things another way. So in your, in your experience, um, have, have you come across that with some of these uh, the survivors that you've interviewed in your podcast? I think a lot of them have described exercise as self-care, as, as a pick-me-up, right? If they're having a really hard day, um, if they're just feeling totally trapped in their trauma, totally overwhelmed, um, that they can go, you know, out for a walk or out for a run and yeah, get those endorphins going and just be present in that moment, focused on the exercise, focused on their body. And it gives them another outlet, you know, so they're not at the, the whim of what their brain is doing. Um, I think when, when you can get your heart rate up, like you described it, it really can just drive you in a different direction. And so I definitely did hear survivors talk about that. Um, and, you know, I also looked at some research about sexual trauma and, you know, well, sexual trauma, rape trauma syndrome, what I described earlier, it is very close to PTSD. A lot of the symptoms are the same. And there was a study in 2011 in the Journal of Clinical Psychiatry that looked at uh, 64 women with PTSD and half of them took yoga once a week for 10 weeks and the other half didn't. And by the end of that study, 52% of people who took the yoga class no longer met the criteria for PTSD at the end of that time. And of the people that didn't take the yoga class, only about a fifth of them no longer met the criteria for PTSD. So, I mean, it just, it really can change your behavior. It really can change what is going on in your brain to the point where, you know, you're not, you're not experiencing these symptoms on a regular basis. And that's, going to give you more control over your life. That's going to allow you to do the things that you, that you want to do. And yes. so I just thought that was incredible. Um, I also interviewed a mental health professional for my podcast and she talked a lot about this. So I, I just want to play a brief clip from Mandy Mount. She's a psychologist with the university of California, Irvine. But there's a lot of other tools that people might feel drawn to that can help them depending on what it is that's particularly calming for them. For example, maybe using music or walking in nature or engaging with nature through gardening or other types of ways of engaging with people's environments. Again, bringing them into the here and the now. There might be cultural practices or social support systems that people can engage. And all of these are wonderful ways to support somebody's healing. Looking at exercise, what you've just mentioned, these research studies, um, what you do find is they're very, very new and there's not a lot of supporting document yet, although it's coming. And I can imagine in the next 10 years, we're going to see a lot more in this direction. But when you do look at the studies that have done, some of the things that jump out at me straight away for the reasons that that particular study was successful, um, half, the, half the people had... Um, 
no longer had those symptoms, some of the really strong benefits are the connectedness in physical activity. Typically, you may go to a gym or you may work out with someone else. So in cases of sexual assault, there's a high percentage of people that go into isolation. You feel extremely alone, and that can have a huge impact on your life just in terms of not wanting to go out or be around people. Um, so exercise is a very safe way for many people to become involved, which um, has shown to be beneficial. Um, it's also, in many cases, it's very hard and difficult for years for a survivor to speak about their trauma. And that is something that happens only in a survivor's time. There is no right or wrong. It may happen straight away. It may be 30 or 40 years later, if and when a survivor decides to talk about trauma. So when you're looking at therapy options, it's definitely not the only way to go for many reasons. Um, expense, it's, it's just too difficult. There's a long list of why therapy is, um, it may not be the right option at the time, but exercise is a way as, um, it's kind of a transition period where it's something that a survivor potentially could do before, if ever, going to therapy. And it's that way to, um, um, again, when you're releasing the endorphins, you're sometimes trauma is said to be trapped in the body, to, to lift it out of certain places, to move it around, to get it going from one part of the brain to another so that it can become unstuck. It's um, not a medical term, but it, it literally is that way where um, with good exercise and good feeling, it's very important to try to get that trauma out of where it's stuck in a negative place and move it and process it into, um, it actually needs to get to the right part of the brain so it can become a narrative. It's something that you can control and move through the healing process. So those studies are really fascinating to read about. They've touched on things that I know for sure I've experienced in my life. And then the research is coming, but it's, for survivors today, it's really worthwhile to go in and do a little bit of research on the benefits of exercise for yourself as a healing method. Um, and just to touch point with some of those little things, baby steps day by day, that you can take control of in your own life, feel like you're getting your power back and, and give yourself a lift and try to move yourself um, out of the stuck place. Yeah, I, I like that unstuck. It's a very- It's very simple uh, term. Sometimes it's accurate. you have to break yeah. it down to that, yeah. Yeah, that's, no, that, that resonates with what survivors told me, you know, that they, just had to find a, a way to shake it out and a way yeah. to, to keep moving forward. And, um, you know, everyone's going to have good days and bad days. And, you know, it's for most people describe feeling like it's never going to be over. It's never going to be over, but, um, you know, you can get to a place where, where you do, um, love yourself again and you do feel that you can move forward and contribute something. I'm writing a story right now about, the lack of just support groups for sexual assault survivors in the United States, you know, with things like um, grief groups, cancer groups, Alcoholics Anonymous, it's, it's very easy to find people like you gathered in a room at a church or a community center. They're everywhere here. But when you're a sexual assault survivor, it's not that accessible. There's not really a network 
that exists. There are maybe some therapy groups where you can get mental health help, but a lot of survivors, they just want to be around somebody who gets it. You know, somebody who has that experience and you don't have to tiptoe around it. It's just off the bat. You've been through this. I've been through this. We have something in common and we can move forward from there. And so I've, I've found a group or two that I've been spending time with. And it's, it's really incredible to watch the way that human connection can make a world of difference for someone who is feeling isolated. And that can be a group physical activity. You know, I've seen survivor kickboxing classes, survivor, um, you know, hiking groups even I think would be an amazing thing. So there's just a lot of, a lot of healing possibilities there. There's a girl that um, Larissa Boyce is um, a former gymnast and she's a survivor of the Larry Nasser assaults and she will be a guest coming on later on my program and she has she loves horses and after she gave up gymnastics years ago she's gone on to have her family but she's always tried to figure out how she can do something positive with her experience as a survivor and she came back to equestrian which is something she grew up loving she got back into horses it turned out to be a very strong form of healing for her again it was a form of exercise. She was connected with people she trusted and felt safe. And she's now gone on to the next level where she has worked with the owner of the stables and they've created therapy for survivors, equestrian, and I don't have the proper name for it, but she will have survivors come to the ranch and they will have a two-day uh, a two-day retreat basically on horses. So it's incredible all the different ways that now I find that sexual assault is coming to the forefront like it never has before. It's on the front page of the newspapers every day. It is something that isn't going away and we will have to be accountable and responsible for it. And as we go, um, that will carry over into, as you're saying, organizations and outlets for survivors specifically to nurture their needs and to help them not just always find what's gone wrong and not give them any options. So finding that positive and finding those outlets that um, they need every single day while the world is going on to keep their journey going forward in a positive direction and a healthy direction. So, um, and as you said, again, the organizations are limited, but growing, but I can say from my experience 30 years ago, we had no internet <laughs> dating myself here, but there were, there was nothing there. But now we do have organizations online. It's a matter of um, getting them promoted and making people more aware of them. Podcasts like this, letting people tap in where they can feel very safe in their own home, quite anonymous and giving people the option to go step-by-step and just continue providing all the options available that somebody in their life might say, yes, that sounds like something I could do today. That sounds like something that's manageable for me and just give them hope that there, there's a way forward. There's freedom on the other side. It's not an easy road. It's hard work, but in these scenarios, it is up to the individual. We have to work hard because it's, it's our life at stake. It's worth every second. Um, and when I heard your podcast and listened to it, I, I had a huge amount of respect for the time that you took to do that because the overriding message was, yes, 
we care about your mental health and your physical health, your well-being, and the message that healing is possible. And in your experience with all those survivors that you've interviewed, um, it, it's really enlightening and and provides a huge amount of hope for people. So uh, those are the kind of things that make a great impact on a person's life day by day. Yeah, thank you, Tracy. And thank you for doing this podcast. I think you're setting an example here to tell survivors that, that their voices matter. You know, that when you speak up about this, you do open a door for someone else. And, you know, a lot of the survivors I interviewed, they were in the first three, four, five years after an assault, which is really not, not that long after. And they kept asking me, they were like, did you interview anybody who's like 30 years out, 40 years out? Are they okay? Like, what are their lives like? You know, they just wanted some hope. They wanted hope that, um, you know, they could still live beautiful and productive lives and, and that what happened to them while terrible you know, could be used to help somebody else. And so, yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's courageous of you to speak up and thank you for having me on the show and to any survivor out there, you know, you, you don't have to hide. Sammy, that was beautiful. Thank you so much for your time. I know you've had a strong impact on a lot of people listening today. Um, all the best with your future endeavors. And um, again, thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Tracy.